You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. We have a good amount to talk about on the show today. We do have some news across baseball. We not necessarily involving the Indians, but there's still there was interesting trade. We had some transactions and the like. Uh, we're going to get into the Zips talk over on Fangraphs by uh, Dan Zaborski, uh, as we had promised to do before. And before I get to any of that, the first thing I wanted to lead off our show with is the thank yous for the iTunes reviews. Back in November, uh, Tony P. Medina Tony left one. Uh, and no, thank you for listening. And Seth uh, seven oh five, thank you for your kind words about my knowledge. I'm glad you both enjoyed the show, and thank you for the five star reviews. So let's talk transactions. That's that's the next uh, fun thing. Some trades, some minor signings. Um, there are pictures being posted, all sorts of things. Uh, the Reds went out and added Dwight Smith Jr., who was let go by the Orioles in August. Uh, one of the many players who basically played, you know, it was the starter for the Orioles who they have let go. You know, they're doing the the equivalent of what some NBA teams and uh, NFL teams have done with the churn, basically, where they're just seeing who can stick and who can't and getting some years out of guys. And if they can flip them, great. If they can't, so long see ya. Uh, Jonathan Villar last year being the really classic example of that, who had been a highly productive player that they just let go. But since he of all teams added him, I'm laughing because We'll talk about more about Cincy in a bit, but like Cincy has a lot of needs. Outfield is not one of them, so that surprised me a bit. Uh, and then we just had a, a series of guys. No one too big, but I did want to highlight Walter Lockett going to the Blue Jays. That is interesting slash funny to me. The Indians acquired him originally from the Padres. It is a Rule 40 crunch move, then shipped him to the Mets for Kevin Plawecki. And now he was claimed off waivers by the Blue Jays, who also have Indians ties. So just one of those kind of funny roundabout things. And then let's get to the trade. This turned some heads, and I understand why it turned some heads. And it even turned my head to a degree, because the Reds traded Raziel uh, Iglesias to the Angels, uh, who are going to who trade back Noe Ramirez. There is cash also going to the Angels, and then either a player to be named later or cash going back uh, to the Reds. When it is a player to be named later or cash, don't bet on that being a good prospect. Like, this isn't Brandon Marsh going back or anything. Pardon the edit there. Um, my phone decided uh, my Google Assistant need to click on, even though I never use it, to tell me about the trade that I just got done talking about. Uh, but... Iglesias, you go and you look at his baseball savant, and he is all deep red. He is in you know the 90th or better percentile on basically everything. He is fantastic. He also costs about $9 million in arbitration and is a year away from free agency. Noe Ramirez has been productive, more of like a 5-6 inning guy than a back-end guy. Good mechanics. All of a sudden, last year he couldn't miss bats, though, which is a concern. He had been around 10-11 strikeouts per nine, dropped to six this past year. Some issues with walks, some issues with the long ball. Perfect environment for him. Since he is getting this player who needs some work on his mechanics, since he has put together a powerhouse mechanic team from the minors through the majors, this could be one of those trades who come back and go, wow, they got a steal. Because while Iglesias is a one-year rental, Noe Ramirez is, 
a guy they have for the next three seasons. Now, again, the Reds traded one of the best relief pitchers in baseball and sent cash to get Noe Ramirez. And when it says player to be named later or cash, uh, that often just turns into cash. And if it is a prospect, it is a very low, low end guy. So the Reds essentially could have chosen to not offer our arbitration to Iglesias. Uh, the only difference here is that they are sending some money the other way, uh, and they got Noe Ramirez. So the question is how much money they had to send the Angels and how much value you put on Ramirez. I, again, he could end up just being a rubber-armed guy for them. Uh, Lucas Sims looked really good last year. You know, they have Amir Garrett. They have um, Michael Lorenzen, the two-way guy. They've got all sorts of options. And, you know, they also flipped out Stevenson, who also saves them money. And they let go of Archie Bradley, who also saves them money. And you get right down to it. The Reds are cutting money left and right. Uh, I think in their ideal world, uh, Castellanos would not have opted in with the way they are shedding salary right now. You know, Brian Goodwin, another example. It's kind of fascinating to look at because, you know, supposedly this is a team that still believes in the ability to contend, but might be shopping Sonny Gray and might be looking to move other pieces. Uh, They are overextended. That's where the Reds are right now. They're a team that is overextended. And why was Iglesias so cheap to get? Why was this elite closer basically got for an arm that, like the value of Noe Ramirez is that there's good stuff and that he's going to an organization that might be able to maximize him. The value owes almost less in the player and more in where he is going. Uh, you know, if you go back to the draft, and I loved how the Reds drafted Joe Boyle because He's this phenomenal pitcher in terms of stuff, but he he's he's not a pitcher right now. And he went to Notre Dame, which, in you know, the, this past year was the first year with a, a new staff that the previous staff maybe did the worst job of development of any staff in college baseball. Uh, you know, guys like Kevin Biggio come to mind right away of guys who seem to just stagnate there. Uh, you could have made great teams. Brian uh, Bellick, Black with the Astros, another one, you know, you could just make a team from drafting guys from uh, Notre Dame and it would have been pretty successful because of the developmental curve issues. So they went out and got Boyle and I love that pick. And that's why I do kind of like this trade. I, you know, I can understand it. Noe Ramirez is their lottery ticket. We'll see if it works for the Reds. It's about saving money and rental relievers just don't have a ton of value right now. I mean, that's what we're seeing. The relief market has definitely been a roller coaster. You go back to when the Indians acquired Andrew Miller, that was probably the peak of that market when they had to give up two top 100 prospects. One was like a top 25 plus. Um, I mean, Ben Heller gets you know forgotten about, but he was the Indians' top relief prospect at the time. J.P. Fireisen was not far off in terms of value. I mean, Sheffield looked good last year. The Indians paid a high price, but you're not seeing that market for relievers anymore. That's why Brad Hand uh, went completely unclaimed. I mean, think about it. Brad Hand was essentially $9 million more for the Indians to keep him. Uh, for any other organization, yes, it was $10 million more. But at that cost, no one wanted him for $10 million, even though he'd had the year he'd had. Market's limited for $9 million for the rental of uh, Iglesias. Uh, we can make another joke, too, that uh, it is December and the Angels are trying to add all of the churches between um, you know, with Iglesias being church in Spanish, they have added Jose Iglesias and uh, Raziel, Raziel Iglesias in uh, about a week's time. So that has been uh, just kind of side humorous to me. But the Angels are getting better. 
They're not flipping much to do it. They are trading low-end assets to make themselves a better team. And, you know, Jose Iglesias, it's not going to happen with. They're not going to offer him arbitration. But there's a world where Jose Iglesias, they offer an arbitration. And remember, the rules have changed, though. A team that has spent as much as the Angels have spent would probably only get like a third or fourth rounder for him, so it may not even be worth it in the end. Uh, remember, those rules have changed. So that changes the likelihood of such things happening. But for the Angels, they're better. And it just costs them money, which they have an owner who can afford to do that. For the Reds, they were in severe money straits, and it's just going to get worse for that team. You know, Bauer is going to go. They're probably going to have to trade away at least one more player. And we'll see where they go from there. I, I mean, they went crazy, and that's that's what we're looking at right now, right? Right. The Reds went last offseason, and everyone was like, wow, the Reds. They added Castellanos, they added Moustakis, they added Shogo Akiyama, and now they're stuck. You know, they, they paid through the nose to keep Joey Votto, and they're now regretting it. And that's kind of the danger. That is what the Indians have done their best to avoid is to get into those situations. And while we may not love the approach always, there is a rational reason for it. And when you look at the Reds now, who traded all those assets, moved heaven and earth, and only made the playoffs because it was an extended playoff this year, in spite of doing all of that, and are now right back in the rat race to try to get back there, it's one can question if it was worth it. What I can tell you will be worth it is listening to the Locked On MLB podcast. Sully's a great guy. I've been talking to him recently. I should be on sooner rather than later. We're just trying to make schedules work. Tomorrow on the show here for the uh, WKYC Cleveland podcast, I'm going to have James Fox of Southside Sox talk some Central, talk some White Sox, get that outsider's opinion on you know the Indians. Like How dangerous does he view them? Are they still a team that worries him? Is this a team that's you know glory days are behind them? like the Zips projection we're going to talk about in a bit kind of indicates. So listen to me and James talk. He's a great guy. I've been on his podcast multiple times through the years. Uh, He, you know, like I said, writes for Southside Sox. Very knowledgeable. Great guy. Check that out. And check out Locked On with Sully as well. I will let you know when I'm on there, but it is totally worth checking out now. Dan Zaborski, uh, again, I will admit I'm probably terribly butchering his name. It is really interesting to look at his stuff every single year because he just goes out and, you know, he puts those projections together and he has for so long now. And they're, you know, they can be very right. They can be very wrong. Um, but by and large, they end up being more right than wrong. Let's put it that way, which is kind of the way baseball looks. And it basically, you get rid of... Um, Francisco Lindor from this team, and he kind of projects it to be a 500 team. Now that's assuming, as he puts it, that the Lindor package doesn't add a ton of 2021 value. I think it will. I think that's one of the things about it. He labels the Indians the third best team in the AL Central, and he projects some things. And this is where it kind of gets fun. Uh, One, because Yasiel Puig last played with the Indians. He is still listed amongst uh, Indians projections for numbers, but not in terms of lineups. So that 500 record is not affected by that. Uh, he goes through and has projections on all, you know, everyone on the Indians. Uh, you can see kind of the the more traditional numbers, batter standard, batters advanced. And the fun thing with batters advanced is the comp. So the number one comp for Jose Ramirez, for instance, is Chipper Jones, Hall of Famer. That's pretty good, right? Number one comp for Francisco Lindor, Miguel Tejada. That's pretty interesting, right? Another, you know, you can kind of see these. 
Nolan Jones is a Jay Bell comp, um, and he is projected to have the third best war of any Indians hitter. If Yasiel Puig were to play, he'd have fourth best. Cesar Hernandez, fifth. Carlos Santana is tied for sixth with Fran Mil Reyes. Fran Mil Reyes is interesting because his comp is Travis Hafner. So those guys are tied at sixth. So then at eighth, you have Jordan Luplo. Then you have a bit of a dip. And tied at nine, the last two spots, Owen Miller and Roberto Perez. I've talked about Owen Miller multiple times on the show. I think he'll get multiple opportunities to play this year. And his comp, if you're curious, Aaron Hill. Uh, the Indians could need a second baseman. They could need a shortstop as well. Uh, I don't think he is, you know, he's long-term a second baseman, but, you know, Jose Ramirez was a long-term viewed as a second baseman, ended up at third base, and that's where he's going to stay now. That's why Nolan Jones in the outfield is going to make the most sense. But for Miller, they could run him out there at shortstop this year. Let's be honest. Uh, if he gives them their best opportunity, he could make sense there. If you're curious about other names to know, Josh Naylor comes in at 11th, then Ty Freeman, Bobby Bradley, Bradley Zimmer, Domingo Santana, who uh, I forgot to talk about in the show last week. If you missed the news, he has agreed to go sign in Japan. Then Oscar Mercado and Yu Chen Chang. Yeah, it's not exactly um, a very <laughs> inspiring list, let's be honest. Uh, I know Jay Bell might seem like an interesting comp, uh, and I think it's more because, I mean, Bell wasn't known as a home run hitter. Um I think it's more the walk rate. Bell was someone who walked a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're curious about things like Fran Mil Reyes, 257, 340, or 324, 48, 112 OPS plus. Uh, OPS plus is 143 for Jose Ramirez, 122 for Francisco Lindor, 110 for Santana, 103 for Leplo, 112 for Fran Mil. Uh, 99 for Nolan Jones. It is interesting that basically the system projects that Santana will bounce back. Uh, it basically says, yeah, go ahead, sign him on a one-year prove-it deal. But that is your uh, your hitters. It's, uh, it's a group. <laughs> Can we just be honest? It's, it's not the most inspiring. We'll go through pitchers, jump through the standard again to the advanced, because that is more fun. That is your wars, your ERA pluses, K percentages, and your comps. Shane Beaver's comp is Roy Halladay, which I, I think you can see that. Projected at a 1.6 walk per nine with a 10.5 strikeouts per nine. 129 ERA plus, 4.6 war. So it's actually got him kind of having a, a bit of a regression year uh, compared to last year. Now 4.6 is a great number. When you look at what he was on pace for this year, that is why I call it a bit of a regression. Carlos Carrasco, the comp is Oral Hershiser. So again, the system is very bullish on him, 2.7. Third highest pitcher is Zach Plesak with a two-war Chidman Wang. So it's actually kind of, when you look at it, low on Plesak compared to what I think a lot of people are placing on him as uh, what he is likely to do. And part of that is because Plesak, what he did last year was does not jive with all of his data for his entire career across college, uh, the minors and everything. Like, I've always been a Plesak fan. Uh, you can go back and listen to last Tuesday's show with uh, Adam Lieberman where I talk about how I was always bothering him about Plesak. I thought there's more potential here. So if you're wondering why, like, you know, this takes in historical data. That's why Plesak is lower. Savali is uh, 1.7 as Jack Russell. Uh, Brad Hand would be next with Gabe White. If we go down a bit, um, Cal Quantrell, I assume it thinks he's going to start some. Highest rated reliever is Emmanuel Classe. Not counting Brad Hand. Brad Hand is higher. Uh, but next is Class A, then Karen Chalk, then Phil Maton with Jerry DePoto as a comp. 
Um, Scott Moss pops up in here. What's interesting is Maiton and, and uh, Moss are at 0.8. Joey Cantilio, who I've talked about, uh, another piece of the deal for Clevenger, who's you know more of a lower minors guy. They project to be able to be worth 0.7 for war. Like They think he could move quickly. Adam Scott, who probably gets short shrift. Not shrift. Shrift. Is that how it goes? Uh, no matter what it is, he was a senior sign. A lefty. He's mostly been a starter, but he's had good stuff, good performance. It's not overpowering, but enough as a lefty that he could probably work as a get-out lefties, get-out righties type. Always been a bit under the radar. Uh, certainly a name to pay attention to. Uh, not high on, let's be honest on this one. Two names very low on this list compared to what they will make on the Indians. Tristan McKenzie at a point five. That is behind Jeffrey Rodriguez. That is behind Eli Morgan. That is behind Joey Cantillo. Scott Moss, uh, Kent Bottomfield is the comp there. It's not, they're not buying McKenzie and Nick Wetgren, who that's not a surprise, uh, 0.5 for him as well, as is Oliver Perez. Uh, Wetgren's stuff has never really measured up to the performance. If we're just being 100% honest, he gets, uh, you know, better production than one would uh, expect based on what he can do. So when you're just going through this, it does say that, uh, you know, the Indians are, pushing 500 and the reason for that is basically comes down to the holes like for as much as we believe in the indians when you're just looking at the whole overall projection here uh second base is currently a a platoon worth one win when they're looking at chang and miller you look at the entire outfield three spots in the outfield you want six wins you know as a minimum that's your your gauge uh for an average starter the Indians are looking at, you know, uh, let's see, 2.8, not even half of that value uh, through six different potential starters out there. That's ugly. First base, uh, 0.9 with Bowers, Naylor, and Bradley on roster. It's it's not good. I mean, the only places you're seeing a projected war of two or better in the offense is shortstop, third base, and DH. That's the entire list. Everywhere else projects to be below average. And when you have two, three spots in your lineup that are projecting average and everything else below average, then of course it's, you're going to present as a 500 team. Uh, when you look at the rotation, Bieber, great, Carrasco, solid, but the rest of those guys, you know, Savali had some fade last year and the minor league numbers never have jived with what he's done in the majors. McKenzie, same story, Plesak, didn't have the fade, but the number's not jiving. Again, that's where we get these lower projections. And the pen group of right now, the projected one on here is Karen Chalk, Wickren, Mayton, Class A, Quantrell, Hill, Plutko, and Nelson. Uh, not a lot of proven again. And the guys who have had multiple years of success, like Wickren, um, the advanced stats don't necessarily back up the performance on the field. So I understand why I had some people kind of read this and then get mad, right? Like they looked at it and they thought, the Indians will be better in 500, and they likely will be. Um, they're probably not going to run out exactly what's listed here, and especially because you know the initial listings here have Naquin and DeShields, who aren't even on the roster. Bobby Bradley, I don't think, is going to get a shot either. Um, Chang and Miller, I don't know if that's what's going to happen in second base. And let's be honest, Lindor is not going to be there at shortstop. So changes are coming. It's going to be interesting to see exactly what they are. And again, everything is just kind of stuck, right? Until we have the Lindor deal occur, who knows what's going to happen. And in terms of finding a Lindor deal, let's go back to the front of the show. 
And what world are the Reds going to be able to afford a Lindor deal? And like we hear about the teams that are interested in Lindor, the Reds come up. I've talked about how Nick Senzel's value is way down, how Jose Garcia is a less interesting shortstop prospect than Tyler Freeman, that there is not a great fit. Beyond all of that, how do we make a deal work with the Reds? Like, how is there a deal where that, because the Indians want out of uh, the money for Lindor. They don't want to pay him, right? So they're not going to go out there and make a trade uh, with the Reds, where the Reds also are a team that need to cut money. It's, it just doesn't make sense as of this point in time. Like, how can you make a deal with two teams that are uh, struggling financially and cutting payroll? About the only way such a deal would make sense is if the Reds are desperate and if they believe that Eugenio Suarez is in decline. Now, I know he is a third baseman, and the Indians have a third baseman, and he can't really play anywhere else. His days of playing second are, are, I think, well beyond him. Uh, He still ended up with a 104 WRC plus after a brutal start to the year and 15 home runs. I'd have to really dig deep on the numbers and see what the home and away splits are. But he has an extremely team-friendly contract with the club option through 2025. Now, he did struggle last year in his age 29 year, a massive drop-off compared to previous years, or there's no way you would ever get him in a Lindor deal because he'd carry more overall value. But that's about the only way I see a deal making sense. You know, the Reds have cleared salary. It is conceivable. They are in a situation where they, you know, could use, open up an infield spot. Let's be honest. I mean, Moustakis played second for them. That's not ideal. Um, Though they don't really have another internal option there. Uh, like just like they don't have a great option at shortstop as well. Uh, so I still have a hard time seeing a Reds deal, let's be honest. But uh, I think especially with what we've seen them do over the past few days, I don't see how anyone can explain a Reds deal to me. And like I said, I was told the Angels are kind of off the table. So and I, the Blue Jays, um, real quickly, you know, I, I put it out there and you can't refute it. The next time a Mark Shapiro-led team trades multiple assets for a rental will be the first time. Uh, and the only deal that anyone could come up with where he traded multiple assets for a just a player in general, general was Ubaldo Jimenez, where he had a sweetheart contract. That is why the Indians went all in on Ubaldo back in the day when he was still here. Oh yeah, and the last piece of news, I mean, I'm sure you saw all sorts of places breaking news about the DH, um, not return, universal DH not returning next year. Remember where the news broke? That was on this podcast when the baseball season was occurring. And I told you guys there was no way that the ownership was going to uh, give up a single inch before the CBA. Giving a universal DH, which is likely something the players would like, because uh, having universal DH is going to raise costs. You have to pay another hitter. Uh, You have to have another specialist. It could also lead to more spots on the roster going forward. Owners aren't going to give one inch in this season because the 2020 CPA is going to be a bloodbath. So, well, you might have read, hey, breaking news. This is not breaking news. I've been telling you guys this, guys and gals, I should say, telling you this for months and months and months. We knew that was going to happen. It might make some trades easier for the Indians. There might be some teams that uh, no longer uh, need that extra bat or are going to look at, especially if it's more of a rental player. And the Indians could be in on a rental market as long as the cost is cheap. And let's be honest, right now with what we're seeing in terms of teams letting go talent, um, A, cost should be relatively cheap, and B, I still don't know if the Indians have like one dime to spend on anyone, so we will have to see. Waiting for information, right? Holding pandered until something happens with Lindor. 
And again, we have the Blue Jays, the Mets, and the Yankees. I mean, those seem like the three teams that uh, are actually in this to me. Beyond that, I don't have much faith in some of the other names that are popping up. Sleeper, I'll still stay with the Marlins for it. We'll see if that comes to be the case or not. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked on Indians podcast. Remember to tune in tomorrow for James Fox and our talk about the Central. We'll continue to talk about it all on every bit of breaking news throughout the entire week. We'll start diving into history, talking drafts and the like. Um, and remember, you know, let me know what you want to talk about. Hit me up with questions. We'll try to get back to doing a regular mailbag feature. Might aim to do that for this Friday. Hope you enjoyed the talk with Brian Sikowski over the last two days on the show. I thought it was great. It was a lot of very enlightening. And in general, I've been lining up guests for the next few weeks. So it should be at least a pretty fun thing where every Wednesday there will be a guest on the show. So you have that to look forward to. Thank you for listening. Again, thank you for those reviews on iTunes. They help. All of them help. Uh, remember to download daily. That really helps as well. Uh, thank you for all you do. I really appreciate all the fans out there. Again, you know, we got a, a shout out for having a big jump last week. So thank you to the fans. I really appreciate everything you do. And as always, go tribe. <laughs>